that's kind of what we're talking about with this series. And so the other day I decided I was going to get into my Google search engine and just type that word extraordinary and see what popped up. And so I was interested in some of the things that, you know, it was going to send me towards things that people have searched out because to be honest, a lot of them I'd never heard of before. And so the top thing that came up when I put the word extraordinary in there was extraordinary form mass. And so I didn't know what that was, so I then wanted to check that out. And so that was a term that is used to describe a certain type of mass in the Catholic Church. So I guess there are differing ones, and I read a little bit about it, but that was the top search thing when the word extraordinary was placed into the search engine. There were others. There was a title of a book entitled The Extraordinary Life of Sam Hell, a novel. And what happened is it's all about a boy who is born with a, um, some sort of thing that causes his eyes to be red. And so all these people, all his uh, classmates start giving him this nickname. And throughout the book, he then tries to figure out why did this happen and what can I do about it? And so that's kind of the novel, the story of that book. And apparently it's pretty well read because a lot of people are searching it out. Another thing that came up was a song. It said, Extraordinary Machine Lyrics. So I have never heard of the song. It's written by Fiona Apple. And basically it talks about no matter what life throws at my way, I'm an extraordinary machine and I'm going to overcome this. Okay. Extraordinary. Another search was extraordinary boy names. All right. So people are looking how to name their child and they want this amazing name. So that's what popped up. I came across extraordinary you. And that was a television show in South Korea where what is explained about it, it says a teen seeks to change the fate that's been set for her after gaining awareness that she's just a side character in a made-up world. And so far, there's only one season of it, but Extraordinary You. So if you want to go watch it, I'm not endorsing it. Don't know anything beyond that. That's simply the title. There was one more thing that popped up with Extraordinary, and it said Extraordinary Success. And so I'm like, well, I know of successes that are really good. What is exactly is this talking about? And when I clicked on it, I realized that that was a term in one of Joe Biden's speeches from the last week, the idea of extraordinary success. And so again, not trying to be political, but I was reading through it and going, okay, this is this term and people are wanting to find out a little bit more about this phrase that he used. And so again, I was still thinking of extraordinary, and I'm like, not really the things that I thought would pop up when I typed in the word extraordinary. So I went around to the staff who were here at church and just said, okay, I'm going to tell you a word, and I want you to tell me the first thing that pops into your mind when you hear this word extraordinary. And so I had some words given to me that basically would replace that word, the idea of exceptional or awesome, something that's unique or beautiful. There were also things that came to people's minds, such as like a hero or a superhero is someone that is extraordinary. Someone talked about when you say that word, I think of space and solar systems and galaxies and how extraordinary that is. Someone said, well, when you mention that word, I think of Jesus's miracles. I'm like, well, good. You've been working on a lesson, <laughs> you know, and I'm glad. But seriously, what, that's what pops into your mind of Jesus's miracles being extraordinary. And then someone said, well, my first thought, to be completely honest, is this, that it should be pronounced extraordinary, that we say it wrong. And I'm like, okay, so you can figure out which staff member said all of those things. But here's the thing, as we're talking about extraordinary, we started this series last week that really looks at this idea of so it begins. 
and we specifically looked at Jesus going to the people in Nazareth, his hometown, and he says, I am the Messiah that has been foretold. But the crowd, they don't respond well at all because how could this local boy be the one who has been promised about for years and years? And yet Jesus is still able to complete this ministry that was filled with extraordinary or exceptional or amazing or awesome things. And so that's the event that we looked at last week. I actually want to take us back nine months prior to that event. And John the Baptist, he has baptized Jesus, kind of starting his ministry. Jesus then goes off into the desert, into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And at that moment, though, of baptism, you just think about extraordinary. The Father's voice speaking about, this is my son whom I love. You see the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus And it was one of those extraordinary moments. And so when Jesus comes out of the wilderness, shortly after that time, we see John the Baptist talking to people who are there listening to him. And he says, I am not the Messiah. People are asking him, are you the one to come? Are you him? And he says, no, the Messiah, he is going to be way more extraordinary than I am. In fact, my purpose is simply to point people to him. And so Jesus is coming out of the wilderness. John the Baptist is denying this. And we see that the very next day after John has done this, Jesus walks towards John the Baptist. And at this point, he simply says, look, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. You know what? Because of that experience that had happened 40 days earlier, John is able to successfully point out, yes, this is who I am pointing towards. And so that's where we pick up our story today. And if you have your Bible or your device, turn to John chapter 1. That's where we're going to be in for today. John chapter 1, we're specifically going to start at verse 35. And while you're turning there, I need to tell you that this event is only recorded in the book of John, not the other three Gospels. In fact, John is the only one who records any events after the temptation of Jesus for about nine months. He's the only one that gives us any insight into that. And so historically, John's gospel was the last of the four written. And apparently there were things that he wanted us to know about that time frame that the other writers hadn't put in there. And so we're going to start reading in verse 35 of John chapter 1. It says this, The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. And it was about the tenth hour. And we'll stop there. Now, here's the thing. As Jesus appears yet again, John the Baptist is still pointing towards Jesus. He's still pointing the way. He continues to influence those people who are following after him. And this particular day, there are two disciples that are following him. And as John points out Jesus, they decide it's time to go and follow him. Now, if you think about it, they'd had a day since they initially heard John say yesterday, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They've had a day to think through all of those things. In fact, I imagine there were further, further discussions between John the Baptist and his disciples you know, about that initial statement and about who Jesus was that we don't have recorded for us. 
And so these two immediately decide it's time to follow after Jesus. Now, it couldn't have been too long that they're following after him. And Jesus turns and says, what is it that you seek? Maybe the question really should have been, who is it that you seek? And possibly they seem like they're a little bit caught off guard by the question. I don't know if you've ever gotten to be part of an interviewing process when you're not the one being interviewed for a job, but I kind of like when I'm on a search team being able to throw questions at someone that kind of catch them off guard, that they're not fully expecting. And the reason is because you can rehearse all the answers that you know that are coming, you know, the ones that you think are going to be asked. But when these other questions are asked, not only do you get to find out the answer, but you get to see how they respond when things aren't going maybe the way that they think. And so are they able to act quickly on their feet? Like, does it throw them off of their rhythm for a little while? You know, does the way that they answered that question show you that it's completely different than all the other questions that they've been answering? And I don't know if these two disciples were caught off guard by Jesus's question, but they answer by saying, well, where are you staying? Okay, what is it you want? Oh, well, where are you staying? It is possible that they really do want to know where Jesus is staying, because if you are a disciple, you are physically following the teacher. So where are you staying that we might be able to come and follow after you? But it also just might have been the first thing that popped in their minds to answer that question. And Jesus says, well, come and find out for yourselves. And so we find out that it's the 10th hour. And again, we don't keep time that way, but that would have been approximately 4 o'clock, 4 p.m. And so more than likely, these two disciples that now are following after Jesus spend the night with him, and they learn from him, they listen to him. And when anyone chooses to spend quality time with Jesus, whether that's 2,000 years ago or whether that's still today, you really do get to know who he is. In fact, we're about to see what these men do because of that meeting, because of that time spent. And so let's keep reading simply just verse 40 in John chapter 1. It says this, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who followed Jesus. Okay, so we realize that one of the men of these, one of the names of these two men is Andrew. First of all, can I point out that I think that's a really good name to name somebody? Secondly, just in case you don't know that, the name means manly, which again, I think is cool. And third, I think my parents named me correctly by calling me manly. That has nothing to do with the sermon, but I just wanted you to know that. But if we're getting back to the text here, back to what Jesus really wants us to hear, we see that Andrew is one of these two disciples here. But we also then can put together that the other disciple is probably John. First, because there are other times in his gospel when he's writing, he doesn't name himself, but just calls him the disciple or the disciple who Jesus loved. But secondly, the exact details, like knowing that this happened at 4 p.m., make you think that he was there. Those little details show that those life-changing events are things that you remember. Like, before you think that's crazy, I want you to think about some of the major events that have happened in your life. Some of those that you know when and where you were when they happened or when you heard about them. Like I think back to when I was in college, I know which class of college I was in when I heard the news about 9-11. Like I know where I was sitting. I can picture the wall that I was looking at in McDonald's on a band trip when I heard about the Oklahoma City bombing. Like I can still picture that. 
I remember what shows Amy and I were watching before we went to the hospital to have Aaliyah and Elijah delivered. I also remember the high school lock-in that I left when Alyssa was being born, but that's completely a different story. But like maybe you know those answers in connection with your own life too. Or possibly, can you picture where you were when you heard the news about a family member that something life-altering was happening to them? Perhaps you remember where you were when you opened that college admissions letter telling you that you'd been accepted. Maybe every detail of when you said yes to get married is ingrained in your mind. Or you vividly can play out your baptism in your head, and it's not because you've seen the video again. You see, certain details are so important to us that they stick with us. And I think John says this encounter happened at 4 o'clock because he remembers, and this changed his life. So Andrew and John, they are these two disciples who'd been following John the Baptist, and they spend the night with Jesus, and then let's see what happens after that, looking at verse 41 and 42. It says, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. And so Andrew finds Peter to tell him this news. And the first word in a Greek sentence gives it emphasis. And the first word in this sentence is the word finds. And so Andrew finds his brother. That's important for us to know. And literally in Greek, it says he found first his older brother, Simon. Now, if you keep reading, you don't see that Andrew tells anyone else about Jesus in this passage. And so what it likely means is that first, Andrew goes to find his brother, Peter. And then secondly, John goes to find his brother, James, and he brings him to Jesus. And so you have Peter and Andrew and James and John, the first four disciples that have been called, according to all the other three gospels as well. And three of them were part of the inner circle with Jesus. The one who wasn't is Andrew. And it doesn't mean that he's being left out or there's anything taking away from him, but God had used him to bring people to Jesus. And it started with bringing his brother, who ended up being the rock. And the one that God uses to preach that first sermon at Pentecost, where 3,000 people were baptized and the church is born. And it kind of makes me think about just a little bit, like when you were younger, what did it take for you to believe what your brother or sister said? Like if they said, hey, you need to know this, like what did it take for you to believe them? Like, was it pretty easy? You're like, okay, yeah, I believe that. Was it like, yeah, I don't think so. Did it depend on which sibling it was? You know, certain siblings, yes, I trust you. Other ones, I don't. You know, I don't know. Um, did it just depend on what they said? There were certain things, yep, you could buy into other things. I don't know about that. What about in your older years when we're grown-ups, whatever that means? Like, think about that. If your siblings say something now, do you still kind of give them the same kind of benefit of the doubt? Do you still kind of wonder? Like, I don't know. But in this moment, again, I don't know how much convincing it took, but Peter at least comes to see Jesus. And Andrew knows that Jesus is extraordinary, that he is the Messiah, and he wants Peter to know him too. You know what, when extraordinary things happen in life, we tell other people about those things. 
I mean, think about it. The outcome of a sporting event, especially if it comes down to the very end, if you are super excited about that, it is quick to be told to someone. Maybe anyone who will listen, you want to tell them those things. Or maybe you're simply somewhere and you see this really unique or expensive car that goes by and you want to tell someone. Maybe it's that conversation that you overheard and someone has to know what you just found out. Maybe it's the fact that that boy, he actually looked at me. And so you got to go tell your friends, you know, the exciting, extraordinary things that have just happened. Or maybe it's a plot twist in a television show. Like you get the picture, these extraordinary things we want to tell people about. So why is it that that's often not true when we talk about Jesus? Like why do we not share Jesus with others when he is extraordinary? You know what, in looking at some different articles and what they had to say about this idea, I kind of put all their answers into some different topic, into different, you know, groupings. And the first one and the biggest one is this idea of fear. Like that's the reason that we don't tell people about Jesus is because of fear. And there's a bunch of different areas within this, but sometimes it's with the words that we say. The idea of, I don't know what to say. Like, I don't know exactly what is it they need to hear or how do I bring it up? And so I'm afraid of that. Or what if they ask me a question that I don't know? And so one of the biggest reasons that we don't share is because of words and fear. Or sometimes with this idea of fear, I don't know how it's going to affect my relationship. Like I've been spending a lot of time building up this friendship or how are they going to think through things or how about me if I tell them about Jesus? Sometimes you haven't even been working on a relationship, but it's someone that you're just new with and you're wanting to go tell them, and are they just going to write me off? Are they going to start making fun of me? Will I physically get persecuted in some way? And there's this fear that causes us not to share Jesus. Sometimes it's not so much fear, although you could still tie it in with some of these, but it really has more to do with just your life. That's the reason why I don't tell people about Jesus. One of the things is that we use this idea that the actions that I do should show Jesus, and so that's good enough. And there is, there's this place that my actions should point people to Jesus. But if I never use my words, they're just going to know that I'm doing good things. They're not going to know the reason behind it. And so there's a spot to use words in sharing Jesus. Sometimes if we're thinking about our life, we could go, I'm not perfect. Like I still mess up. And so how good of an example am I? I don't know that I should be the one to share with someone because I just am not perfect. And we still let that hang over our heads. Sometimes, if we're thinking about our life, the reason that we don't share with someone else is because maybe I'm still struggling with my own faith in certain areas. Like, I don't have it 100% figured out. And so there's a lot of things that I know, but since I don't know it all, like, I just don't feel confident enough to be able to share it with someone. Sometimes, if we're being honest, and we don't want to use these words, but like, we don't really care about lost people. And I'm stepping on my own toes here a little bit too, but like, sometimes, like, if you think about it, we as people are selfish. And we really think about our own needs first. And then we think about those that are closest to us and such, and then maybe our friends, and it goes out a little bit. But how often do we give thought to people who maybe we don't really know or people who are lost? And again, that's a blunt truth, but sometimes it's just that I don't know that I really just think through and care about the situation that they're at. Sometimes the reason that we don't share the truth about Jesus with other people is because we already have before. And what I mean by that is we've shared him. We've said, hey, this is Jesus. You need him in your life. But at this point, they're not interested. And so it is a struggle to try and figure out when is the next time that I bring something up? Like, how do I figure this out? Because I don't want to be nagging and I don't want them to turn me off. But at the same time, I want them to know truth. And so there's this struggle of I've already shared some with them. How do I do it again? 
And as I read those articles and kind of combined those answers into those three categories, I thought there's a lot of truth there. But there's one more reason that I think it comes down to that aren't written in any of those articles. And again, I put myself into this category as to sometimes why I probably don't share Jesus. It's at this, that at times we've lost or forgotten how extraordinary Jesus is. At times in our life, we're just, we've forgotten how extraordinary Jesus is. And think about this. Anything else that is super important to us, we share it. Even if we don't know everything about it or how someone else is going to respond, we still share that information. We don't need someone to teach us how exactly do I do this. We just do it. And that's why I think it's so important for us to spend time with Jesus outside of Sunday mornings and allow ourselves to be amazed by him again. We need to let his extraordinariness capture us again. Because as we catch the awe of him, we will want to share him with other people. Now, here's a thought that I did have is kind of just thinking about this sharing news with other people. We see Andrew share Jesus with Peter, but what if like this is just because he spent the night with him and this is really the only time that he, spent, he spends uh, sharing Jesus with anyone else? Like maybe he doesn't see the need to do that ever again. Well, the good place to look is scripture. And so in John chapter six, there's this event that maybe you've heard about, but what happens is there's a large crowd coming to Jesus. The people, they've seen Jesus do all sorts of miracles. They've heard his teaching and they want to continue to be around him. And this crowd is coming towards Jesus. And at this moment, he says to one of his disciples, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And Philip responds by saying, you realize that eight months wages would not be enough to buy enough food for every single person to even have one bite. And so then in John chapter six, verses eight and nine, we read these words. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother spoke up and he said, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Like maybe you've heard this story about a boy having a lunch to which Jesus uses to feed the crowd that has at least 5,000 men plus women and children. But maybe you didn't know Andrew was the one who brought this boy to Jesus like two of the gospels, if you were to read on this account, they say that the disciples say, hey, there's five loaves and two fish. Like that's what we have when Jesus says, hey, I need you to go feed the crowds. Well, this is what we got. And in another one of the gospels, uh, when Jesus says, hey, how much do we have? Go out and check. They come back and say, five loaves and two fish. But in this account, we find out where that food came from, from a boy that Andrew had found. And I don't want to read too much into this and say, hey, the others, they weren't looking, you know, they weren't obedient in their search, or Andrew's the only one that took it seriously. Like, I don't want to say anything like that. But I simply want to point out that we have another instance here of Andrew bringing someone to Jesus. At this moment, this boy has a small lunch, but even Andrew goes, but how far can this go? Like, I look at the crowd and I see here, like, how far can this go? And he is about to see Jesus do the extraordinary. There's one other account that even less people know about. And it's found in John chapter 12. And in this scene, it is right after the triumphal entry happens, where Jesus comes in riding on a donkey at the last week of his life. People are waving palm branches around him. They're expecting him to become king. 
And so there are a few people there, some Greeks, who have come for the Passover celebration. And they ask Philip, they go, hey, we'd really like to see Jesus. They've heard of this rabbi who's an amazing teacher and does miraculous signs, and they too want to see him. And Philip, he doesn't know what to do. And so this is what John chapter 12, verse 22 says. It says, Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And then if you were to keep reading that text, you'd see that Jesus teaches those people around him some things. Again, though, I'm not wanting to make the Bible fit a point that I'm trying to make in a sermon. But I want to point out that in this moment, people want to see Jesus, and Andrew wants them to be able to do so. Instead of being any type of hindrance or letting any excuse stop them from being able to do so, he brings people to Jesus. In our current series that middle school and high school students are studying at an impact right now, we're looking at this truth that God is already working. You see, sometimes we think that taking Jesus to someone or taking someone to Jesus is completely up to us, to you or I. And yet we need to remember that God is everywhere and he is already working in people's lives even before we show up. Now he wants to use us because we may be part of his plan to help bring the two together, but it's not solely up to you. God is already working. And so the question is, will you say yes to God and be faithful with your side of things? Like, will you share your story? Will you ask the question that opens a door? Will you show interest in someone? Will you do acts of love with the plan that I'm not just stopping there? Will you say yes? You know, the speaker in the lesson said this, that when you say yes to God and you do your part, you will experience your own God stories. Like you will see God work with your own eyes, not just how he's worked in the lives of others like Andrew. You'll be able to tell of someone who started coming to church or of someone who has experienced hope during a pretty dark hour of their life or of someone who decided I'm actually going to make our marriage work or of someone who overcomes an addiction because of Jesus's power or of someone who begins to use their earthly resources for the sake of the kingdom or simply someone who takes what they've learned and experienced and they go out and they bring other people to Jesus all because you said yes. And so let me just ask this simple question. Who do you know that needs Jesus? Who is it that you know that needs Jesus? Maybe they're a favorite in your phone. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor. It could be a classmate or a teammate. It could be a family member. Who is it that needs Jesus? Once you've identified that person or those people, start specifically praying, God, how do you want me to say yes? How specifically do you want me to say yes? How should I show them love? How should I speak the good news to them? I will tell you with South Rock One next week, there's a great opportunity to reach out to someone in a setting that may be a little less intimidating for someone who maybe church is a wall, is a barrier. 
And so maybe they can come and experience Jesus there. Breakfast games, those are a nice plus for someone who's coming to visit. But we have all sorts of invitation cards all over the lobby, and I would encourage you, put those to good use. Don't just let them sit on the table. But figure out who is it that you need to reach out to and ask God to help you to know how to do that. And then act. Like, don't just stop there. God, what is it you want me to do? Step out, say yes, and allow him to use you. But I would tell you, even before that, maybe, just maybe, the thing that needs to happen first is you need to remember how extraordinary Jesus is. Maybe you need to spend some time drawing close to him and allowing him to work on your heart. Allow him to remind you of the saving acts and grace that he has done in your own life. He is the one that fulfills what we read last week from the words of Isaiah, that he would be led by the spirit, that he would do great and awesome miracles, that he would free the oppressed and the captive, that he would make a connection with God again because life changes what he does. You know what? I could see that as we're talking about the extraordinary today and Jesus being that, maybe today is the day that you finally get it. Like you're thankful for whoever it was that took the chance to reach out to you and say, will you come listen to what has changed my life? And maybe this day you want to make him your savior. Like you want to follow after him in this journey of life. You want to experience freedom that only he can give. You want to know you're a child of his that he is constantly looking over you. And if that's you, and in just a second as we're singing, I encourage you to go to one of these decision points because we have people there that want to connect up with you. Or simply, maybe it's just prayer, like prayer for anything. Could be some life circumstances that you're going through right now. It could be that you specifically want to pray for courage to speak out to that specific person. You already know who it is, but like, you're nervous, you're afraid, you could use that word. And I want someone to pray that I will have courage to reach out this week. Or maybe you want someone to pray for you to ask God to become extraordinary to you again. If that's you, I'd encourage you to head to the decision point. And again, someone will be there to pray for you. Let's remember this, that Jesus is extraordinary. And let's live out that fact this week. If you have a decision to make, Head to the decision point while we sing this song. Everyone else, let's stand and sing.